Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Entropy, what is for our kids? What is entropy? Okay, 
This is, this is a principle in the earth, kids, that means that everything runs out of energy. Everything decays. If you put an apple on the shelf, in about three weeks, it will be a shriveled up, icky, soft, rotten thing. It runs out. It runs out of things. Those things are in play, and so we suffer in this life because that's what's in the earth. And, and Paul is trying to get across to all believers and saying, don't you know if you see that happening, that doesn't take away God. It means you're going to be glorified with God in the midst of all that suffering. God's spirit is in you, and he's going to make himself known through you. So even though our bodies are decaying, just like an apple would, our spirits are alive and alive to God, and people are going to notice that. So though some may think I'm a shriveled old prune this morning, I am not. I am fully alive with the spirit of God inside of me, and so are you. This passage is amazing. I want you to hear this in another, in another version so just, just listen to this. This is the Phillips translation, and uh, Phillips was a much more uh, accurate to the English language in the time, you know, in, in the last century that it was written. And he, um, it's sort of like a cross between a literal translation and an amplified Bible is the best way to describe the Phillips. He only did the New, New Testament says this, all who follow the leading of God's spirits are God's spirit are God's own sons. Nor are you meant to relapse into the old slavish attitude of fear. You have been adopted into the very or the very family circle of God, and you can say with a full heart, Father, my Father. The Spirit himself endorses our inward conviction that we really are the children of God. Think what that means. If we are his children, we share his treasures. And all that Christ claims as his will belong to all of us as well. His will, that's his treasures. Yes, if we share in his sufferings, we shall certainly share in his glory. Isn't that an incredible way of putting this? It's, it's stunning, but it's stunning because of the journey that Paul's just taken us through and how he arrives at here. Before we get here, where did we start with the teaching on Romans? Anybody remember? Romans 3, 21. What two words start it? But now what? Do you remember? Let me read it to you. So he's laid out in Romans 1 and 2 and gets to Romans 3 what's happened in the earth, what sin did, how creation moved away from God, how judgment was brought, how it, how it surpassed, <laughs> the surpassing greatness of God is seen in all of creation and that we'd rather have ourselves than God. And, and what happened, I mean, Romans 2 is hard to read. It's some hard reading stuff. That's why I didn't start there. But we're all familiar with it because we're all familiar with what our former life was and how difficult it was. Romans 3.21 says this, 
But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. So remember, he's writing to this church. There's a group of people made up of Jewish believers who have decided to follow the Messiah, non-Jewish believers who have learned that there's a God who brings salvation into their life and that they're included into the family of God. So you got the, the two different groups of people, probably many different groups of people, but a lot of Romans who were, who were Gentiles that were brought up under the Roman gods. Now, the Roman gods, if, you, if you've looked at history, and kids, you can look at this on the, on the history channel and stuff, they served many, there, there was a pantheon of gods, they served many gods, and most of them actually were very mean-spirited. There were very, there were very few friendly gods. There were gods that they had to learn to appease. And so when they would have a, a household, a family god, they made arrangements with that god all the time and made sacrifices to him so that their house would be protected and their lives would be okay. Um, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but there were the many. Paul comes in and says, there's one god. Well, the Jews already believe this, but now he's got to bring he's got to bring the understanding of this into both to the Jewish believers that there's a God who's one, but there's three. Now, think of the tension of this. He's explaining that part to Jewish believers at the same time explaining to Gentile believers there's one God, and so he's bringing this all and he does this in an incredible way because he keeps returning to the general theme of this, where it starts in Romans 3. What Romans 3 tells us is how we relate to God, but now has been changed for us. That we no longer relate to him through other means. We relate to him through Christ, who has given us a gift of righteousness for believing in him. When we believe everything about Jesus, and even if I don't know everything, when I believe that, then everything about Jesus is given to me as a gift. And the special thing is, I don't have to do stuff to be okay with him. He did stuff for me to be okay with him. That makes sense? God made a way through Christ that all could come in and be declared righteous. You know? Um, if you would picture it today, it's like Oprah. You get righteousness, and you get righteousness, and you get righteousness, and you get right. He's, it's literally that. God is, and he's not just declaring it to you. When you receive Christ, you receive righteousness. It's, it's stunning. So the rest of the chapters, Paul keeps coming back. This is the theme that you have to see in Romans. He keeps explaining to us how we now, but now we relate to God this way. But now we relate to God this way, over and over again. He, repeat, he repeats it in chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7. He relates it in different ways. We don't 
relate to God through the law. We relate to God through the Spirit. We don't relate to the God through works, which gets a righteousness through the law. We now relate to God through faith. So he keeps repeating this pattern over. And this is, when you start seeing this, you start going, oh, he's just saying it in a different way. Yes, that's what he's doing. And then he culminates it in this chapter. Um, and he actually brings us to a concept that the Lord has been getting to us um, this morning uh, through the songs that we sang and then hearing, uh, a, if you will, a word of knowledge about it and everything. But it's this concept of God as our Father. Now for some, and I, this has been years of my 35 to plus years of pastoring, one of the things that I've noticed most about people is the thing that they really struggle with is not so much the idea of Jesus being Savior, but God being Father. And it's like, <laughs> uh, I've prayed with so many young people through the years over receiving the love of the Father. Um, a lot of that happens through our own circumstances in life and our own relationship to our earthly fathers but Paul is not talking about our earthly fathers here. But he is using, and it's not just symbolic. That's what you got to get. It is not symbolic for God to be your father. It's reality. It's what Paul's saying here. Let me, let me unpack it for you. So everybody tracking with me? How many, how many of you felt a little <clears throat> twinge or something when I mentioned the Father? Anybody want to raise your hands? Well, as many of you know, I've had so many people through the years tell me, oh, you so exhibit the Father's love, and I so sense the spirit of the Father on you, which I'm, I'm not sure I understand that, and everything about fatherhood coming out of me, you're such a father and all that. I had one of the poorest father things of anybody sitting in here. Now, that's not to brag. I just did. So it was ugly and hopeless and worse than Huck Finn and his dad. So uh, it was no good. So when people said that to me through the years, especially when I was a 30-year-old trying to lead teenagers, I would be like, what? What are you guys talking about? Because I, I didn't. I didn't know what a father was like, not a good one anyway. I didn't have any comprehension of it. A father was really scary to me. And yet, it was one of the most appealing things to me. Isn't it funny how that works? The very thing by which we've learned abhorrence is life is also the very thing that attracts us uh, from our pain and the things that happen to us. And one of the most devastatingly good, there's an oxymoron, kids, that means that two words are put together that mean different things, and we put them in the same sentence to, to make a contrast with them. So I come into salvation, and then I do two years of running myself into a wall by not, not understanding anything about God and nearly lose my marriage because I'm just belligerent and stubborn and all those things that you do when you're younger. 
But Brenda and I decided that the problem in our life was not us, it was God. And, and God, we needed to do something with God. So we started going to church, and I go to church, and I get in this wonderful, big, charismatic church. There were about 1,400 people there at the time, which that was even before the days of, like, mega churches happening. But it was a church filled with all sorts of people. And that was back in the day where businessmen wore three-piece suits. And we would see people in church that had three-piece suits on, and then we'd see hippies off the streets of Tucson that were, like, needed a bath really bad. Um, and they would be hugging each other and loving on each other. And we'd get to this church, and the worship grabbed me, and all this stuff's coming up and out of me, and I'm 25 years old, I think, at the time. And I want to fall in love with God so bad. And the way the church worked, do you remember the churches where, some of you will remember this, where the pastors always set up on the stage and stuff? Do you remember that? Where they still do that? Hmm. Okay. Well, anyway, it was that kind of church. It was probably, I don't know, out of, out of a certain denomination tradition or something. But um, So the pastor was up there, and, and here comes this. He wasn't a very big guy, but here comes this guy walking in the back of the church. And he walks in, and he's literally doing this, and he's grabbing everybody, the three-piece suits guys and, and the hippies, and he's going like that, and he's hugging them, and he's stopping the women. He's making himself forward. And he's touching people and hugging them like that. And I'm going, what? You know? And he walks up on the stage where the pastor is. And he walks up to him and he grabs him. And he puts his arms around him and kisses him. And I'm going, what? All I did ever did was run and duck punches. At least in my head. And I find out that everybody calls him Dad Casita. Last name Casita. He kisses his son who's a senior pastor and is like 30-some years old. And publicly. It shocked me. It undid me that there would be that kind of intimacy, unrehearsed. And I saw the love of the Father sat down and I just went, I don't know what this is, but this is God. I have to own something of this in my heart. I've, I've got to get a piece of it. I have to know something about this. The trouble was I didn't know anything about God. Paul is writing here about a revelation of how, because of Romans 3.21, how we now relate to God. We relate to God now the same way that that senior pastor, John Castillo, related to his dad. Is the dad came up to him and grabbed him and held him and gave him a kiss on the cheek in front of everybody. Total open intimacy. And there was no doubt. And I, of course, I asked questions because I was new, but there was no doubt in my mind that it was God. That that whole thing was God. That's what Paul's trying to get across in Romans 8. How you now relate to God, but more than that, 
how God, no matter what your age is, how God relates to you. When God sees a believer, he sees his son. What does he do with his son? He openly declares his relationship with him. Openly, for everybody to see. And so Paul does this incredible contrast in Romans 8. He says, you've not been given a spirit of bondage again unto fear. Now, listen, lots of us have been given, and it's right and good. I've heard so many good messages. I have taught so many messages about not being in bondage to fear about this scripture. In all reality, that's somewhat out of context. That doesn't devalue those teachings. They're very good. good. But he's not talking about a spirit of fear here. He's talking about a spirit of bondage that leads to fear. And the spirit of bondage is we're trying to relate to God in a way that is not, <laughs> we haven't changed it, but there's a change. There's a, but now. So the spirit of bondage that he's referring to is you don't relate to God through legalism. You don't relate to God through doing good works. That is not how God will relate to you. You can do it all you want. And that what he's saying here is actually that's being in the flesh. To be in the spirit is to relate to God the way God relates to you. And when you try and do it any other way, it produces a bondage that starts causing you to have fear and anxiety in your life. Not about your life about how God feels about your life. And that's what he's addressing here. Fear of what? Um, the old King James calls it something different. He doesn't say bondage, says slavery. M many uh, translations are translated that way. A mentality of slavery. What is a slave's mentality? If I don't do exactly what the master says, I can legally and rightfully be punished. This is the way Roman Gentiles had a relationship up to their gods. I have to be okay with this God, so this God likes this sacrifice, so I will do this on a regular basis so that he doesn't punish me. Because if I make him unhappy, I'm going to get punished. The Jews <laughs> had turned the law into that. Do this or the result is and if you miss a certain day in the year, you're in trouble. If I mess up, I will be punished for it. A slave lives with the threat of recompense the whole time that they're a slave. That's what Paul's writing here. He's referring not to the things that create anxiety in us, but the things that we try to do to relieve the anxiety, which actually increases the anxiety. Does that make sense? There is nothing wrong with teaching about how to 
deal with the normal anxieties of life. I have a test coming up and all that. These scriptures are wonderful that, for that. But now it's time to see how much greater they are for your life. I don't like anxiety, do you? I don't like the way anxiety makes me feel. I brush my teeth differently when I'm anxious. You know, you got that little rotary thing going and you're grinding away. You're going, what am I doing? I'm hurting myself. All because I'm anxious. Um, I don't like anxiety at all. But Paul is getting at something of bigger anxiety in our lives. What does God I'm all alone at night and mom and dad have said the prayers with me and it's just me and God and I talk to him, what does he really think about me? Maybe the rest of you are somewhat childlike. Have you ever laid there in bed and wondered what do you think God thinks about me tonight? I know what I think about me and it's, I don't like it. How does God feel about me? When he puts his attention on me, which, by the way, he always has his attention on you because he lives in you. But Christians will act like he's far away, especially when they're all alone in bed at night. Where are you, God? Right here. You're going, no, no, where are you? He's written within the context of Romans 6 and 7. Instead of us relating to God through our obedience and our behavior and of keeping the law and keeping things right and referring to the cause and effect of life, I did this and now this is going to happen. Paul's going to make a statement here that actually is designed to get people to believe everything he's written from Romans 3.21 right up to this verse in chapter 8. And it's through the very next thing. If the Holy Spirit that lives in me is not a spirit of bondage, what is it? Even better, because this leads to the freedom. You're not wrong. It's even better than that. Adoption. Now, we all know today, especially, especially in Christian circles, and I think that's right and good, um, know a lot about adoption is when uh, children don't have a parent then another family takes them in and they become uh, part of that family and they're adopted into it so everything changes for them in this Paul is using this and this is this is as much cataclysmic that he's saying to the Roman church as what the Lord said to him through Jesus and through his understanding, spending 13 years in the backside of a desert learning from God about it, he's learning what it means to be adopted by God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit of sonship or daughterhood. So he's saying, when he says the spirit of adoption, he's saying, God now sees you in and through and as his son. You're his. 
you're his son or daughter. Everything's changed. Everything's new. And the Holy Spirit, and this is where you said the word freedom, at work in you frees you, and that's why you would say freedom, from the slavish mentality in your relationship to God. This is bigger than the many teachings I've heard about a revelation of the Father's heart. This isn't about the Father's heart. This is about the Father's being. And how he relates in his being to you. You're so precious to him. You're his son or his daughter. He says, as a matter of fact, it's so precious. He says, when we receive the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, we cry, Daddy? Think of all the intimate names we have for Father. Pa. One child calls me Pops. The other dear one calls me Da. Because they each want a special name. Each want a, yours. I belong to you. So Paul uses here the most intimate Greek word he can find for Father. Abba. It's like when a child first, when you're you know, trying to get them to talk, and you say, Daddy. And then they go, Do. That's good enough, he said, Daddy. <laughs> He's mine. He knows I'm his dad. That's what Paul's trying to get across to people here. God now, and he gives you, Paul is giving us, you and I, because he gave it to the Roman church. He's giving us a gift. You get to call God instead of the punisher, the ruler, the strict one, the law keeper. He says, no, 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 no. He's calling dad. Well, don't get irreverent. Just go, hey, dad. Don't worry about it. Call him dad. So hard to do. See, I don't know why, but this, for in American English, this is the other one. When you really start relating to God and go, Father. And you don't do Father God like you were taught. Pray this way. Well, Father God, give us, no. My Father. You're attaching yourself to him. See, some of what we have is we have learned about this name and don't understand what it means. We, we accept it culturally, God the Father. Paul was shooting arrows into culture when he started each letter and say, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus brought a revelation of something. He said, hey, human beings, you wanted to relate to God through law, and he wants to relate to you through relationship. And so Jesus, one of the reasons they crucified him is he made himself out to be the son of God. You have all the other religions. God is great. God is this, God is that. Jesus goes, Father, 
Teach us to pray. Our Father, personal possessive pronoun. We take it for granted today. We go, God the Father, God the Son. We're, we're, we're inculcated with it. That, that means we're, it, it's every place around us. But we don't recognize how drastic it is and how much God wants to relate to you through sonship and daughterhood. And the reality, this is the theology behind it. You are no longer a son of Adam. Where it started and Adam went wrong, do you remember the original sin? It says, no longer do I call you son of Adam, I now call you son of Christ. Jesus comes as the second Adam and restores everything that the first one lost. I will only know you by your spirit. And your spirit is my son or my daughter. And I will be your dad. I will be your pops. I will be your papa. I will be. I will be. That's the spirit of adoption. Paul writes, what's really interesting is to understand Roman culture with this. When an adoption happened in Roman culture, I just recently learned this. It was a three-step process. First of all, if someone adopted them, it's because they wanted to include them as heirs of their household. That was the only reason to adopt. It wasn't out of compassion. It was always to make them, in, to pull them into our family so that they would gain rights, prestige, perhaps money, but they were going to take on that family name. And so often it was when there was no children, but even when there was children, and get this, often it was a slave that they had fallen in love with. They said, no, 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 you're not our slave. You're a part of this family. We're going to adopt you, which really meant freedom and a life of freedom for their offspring. So they do this, and this is the way Roman law and culture worked at the time, is you went legally to the courts, and you said, I want to adopt this person. You did all the paperwork, and then they would go to a public setting, and there had to be three announcements, each of them the same. And in the first two announcements, the the losing family, if you will, the, the, what was being let go of could make a statement, no, he's, he's still ours. So if you can picture somebody in a public setting that's going to be adopted, they would say, there's Lloyd Rendles. Jesus Christ wants to adopt him. Is there any here who oppose it? And John Rindle says, yeah, he's my son. I didn't get along with him, and he didn't know how much I loved him, but I, we really didn't have a good relationship. I still want him to be my son. He could do that legally once. He could even do it twice. It was called redemption. That was another form of redeeming. He could, no, I don't want to let go. But then there's a third one. This is Lloyd Rindle's. Jesus Christ is adopting him. He's going to be in that family now. And no voice was raised. And it was so. And from that moment on, 
every debt, every possession, everything about that person who is being adopted ends. And he moves over and moves in to a completely different family. That had, and he has full rights, full inheritance, even under the law, to that family name. And that's how an adoption works. That's what Paul's trying to get across here. Even though your old way of living, even though your old gods could say, no, 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 this one is ours. There's a third voice coming. It says, that's my kid, no. Can't belong to anybody else. He's mine. No matter what happens, doesn't matter if war breaks out, doesn't matter if he loses all the family money, doesn't matter if he gives it away, he's mine. That one's mine. So there's a, Paul's trying to get across, there's not just this emotional feeling I have to know what the Father's love is. He's saying, here comes a declaration. That's, I've known you for so many years. That's my kid. No matter what he goes through, nothing will ever change that. That's my kid. Stunning. Because it, it, it breaks away all the other stuff. And this is what it does. I no longer relate to God through any other means. He is my father. And this is the evidence of your adoption. I am free from unbelief. I can have doubts. I can have struggles with faith. I can even deny some of the stuff about God. But I never have to doubt again how God will relate to me. It will only be through the father's love. How are you doing with God today? Incredible, the Father loves me. That's the evidence of it. Well, I kind of stumbled last week. He goes, what are you talking about? I love you. I'm free from slavery to sin. That's an evidence of it. I'm no longer a debtor to the flesh. I don't have to do that. I am so free. We are so free. I'm free. This is a glorious good news. God will never punish you. You are free from punishment. This is uncomfortable because then we want to start using language. Well, yeah, but God will discipline me. That reveals a little bit of your heart that you really struggle with being completely free from punishment. Do I want the Father to discipline me? Yes. But that's not the point of emphasis that Paul's making. What he's saying here is, God will never punish you. Not ever. He punished his son. You were set free in the son. You're free from misbeliefs. Every lie that wanted to drag you into anxiety and fear, you can openly address and say, nope, father loves me. Nope, father loves me. Nope, Father, and I've, <laughs> I've been using this this week. When fear and anxiety starts jumping on you, God loves me. When I say that to myself, this is what I hear. I got this, kid. I got this, kid. 
I got you. I won't let go. It's hard right now. I won't let go. I will never let go of you ever. Who has a father like that? Me. Me. The one who didn't have one has one. I'm safe and secure. I'm sure of my identity. I don't have to doubt it anymore. Am I living up to God's standards? No, I am God's standard. You're finding God's will. I am God's will. You know, I feel like that weird lady from uh, from Saturday Night Live who was always over top of everything. Well, look at how beautiful the sun and moon are. I am the sun and moon. It's like that when you're in God. I'm not just saved. I'm Christian. I'm, I'm other than. I'm God's. Remember what he said in Romans 8, 14, especially in the thing. Think what that means, he says. If we are his children, we share his treasures. Do I have permission to go to that room, like where they give new brains? Yep. You can think completely different than you used to think. Will it be better than before? Yeah, you can have the mind of Christ. Lies tend to run away from the mind of Christ because he sees the reality of what they are. All that Christ claims is his will belong to all of us as well. You get a great life, and you get a great life, and you're going to have problems, but it's going to be a great life. He didn't promise you there wasn't suffering, did he? Isn't that what he said here? Never seen, said no. When you suffer through stuff right now, what that does is reveal how much God loves you, because you're going to be glorified together with him. Way different way of approaching the stuff that doesn't work. God's revealing his glory in it. My old debts are canceled. I'm a new creation. That's what Romans 8 is saying here. How amazing it is, you guys. It's the uncomfortability of somebody who prays this way. He says, Let, let's pray. That's why I did it with you this morning. Let's pray. Oh, my Father. Oh, my Father. When you don't understand, when you're sitting in class and nobody seems to like you and won't talk to you, that's the time to go. Oh, my Father. Start recognizing who you are. You're a son or a daughter. When they don't like you, guess what? Yanny, yanny, boo-boo. Let them go eat worms. God's crazy about you. And you don't have to get back at them. There's nothing you have to prove or disprove. You ever felt misunderstood? Anybody? You ever been betrayed? Ever had a friend turn against you? 
good. Now you've entered into the sufferings of Christ because he had all those things. But with that comes all the inheritance. He was raised to new life. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And it's the spirit of adoption. He don't let you die. When he does, you don't die. When this bag of flesh, this meat bag goes away, you live. Because you're an eternal being. Now, you will always be a son or daughter. Isn't that stunning? I'm a joint heir with Christ. Not in a sacrilegious way, but Jesus is my bro, man. He's telling me, you really go, yo, bro. Or how do they say it now? Bro? Bro? I can't say it right. Bruh. Bruh. Jesus is my bro. My wife's warning me not to make a fool of myself. <laughs> but you know what? There was a time that I grew my hair out and put rings in my face so kids would listen to Jesus. And I will be a fool for Christ. And that's what Paul's saying here. You count me as a fool. I'm a son. Count yourself as a son how foolish it seems. Scariest time to talk is when people don't like you. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. Just be a son or a daughter. Don't retaliate. Don't get back. I know who I am. I do always say the name of Mary Busa under my breath when I need to. Sticks and stones may break my bones. What can they do? God has declared me righteous. He's declared you righteous. He not only declared that he made you righteous. He made him who knew no sin to be sin that you might be the righteousness of God. Let me pray for you with me. Father. Oh, Father. some of us are scared some of us have bad stuff going on dad we need you dad help our mistrust help our fear conquer it we're adopted in you Jesus is not one thing you didn't overcome we believe. Help our unbelief. Father, this is what I believe in. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Christ. I believe he came to the earth and that he died as me. And he was buried and I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he's seated at your right hand with all authority right now and that I am his brother. I am his sister. That he chose me before he came to the earth. He chose me. Help by the presence.
presence of your spirit to remind me I've been adopted and to not be putting myself into bondage but understand my freedom that you've got this chase my fears away I want to live in fear I want to live in Christ Christ knows no fear he's conquered all sin, death he's got it all he's got me Father you have me through Christ I declare it over my own thoughts, my own emotions today. I'm yours and you're mine. I am my beloved's and I am accepted in the beloved. And I want to say it. Help my mind to live it every breathing moment. Help my conscious state to understand this. So help me, God. And by the authority of my inheritance, I pray in the name given to me for salvation, Jesus. And I say thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Now, but now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Take a deep breath.